War is never the answer, for the simple reason that violence breeds violence, and you don't achieve peace through force. According to the principles of just war, which outlines what is considered justified reasons for going to war, some of the reasons are war must be a last resort, and all peaceful options must be exhausted before the use of force can be justified. There must be a reasonable chance of success. Deaths and injury that results from a hopeless cause cannot be morally justified. The consequences of the war must be better or preferable than the situation that would exist had the war not taken place. The violence and destruction must be proportional to the injury suffered. Civilians must not be targets of the fighting, and great. Care must be taken to avoid civilian casualties. War must not be waged out of ethnic hatred, for revenge, for wanton killing and destruction, nor for material gain or to grab power. War's ultimate goal must be reconciliation and the restoration of justice. Those who undertake war, even for justifiable cause, should act not with arrogance or self-righteousness. But with humility, regret, and full recognition of the humanity of their adversaries. Despite all of these reasons for justifying and morally condone war, I personally don't think war is ever a solution. Especially when we look at our modern times of warring, the destruction and collateral damage is on such a massive scale and inflicted on civilians and innocent lives at the rate that it is today. With the innovation of military weapons and equipment in the past hundred years, when war breaks out, it's bound to impact civilian lives at a great cost. It destroys lives, takes lives, destroys businesses, infrastructure. It pollutes water sources and makes land inhabitable, making civilized life almost impossible. It plunges countries into debt. Entice scrambling newly formed governments' hands behind their backs as they try to navigate the torn and traumatized terrain. In short, great harm is done on civilians for generations to come in today's modern wars, which, when considering the principles of just war, is in stark competition with that that great care must be taken to avoid civilian casualties, or that the Consequences of the war must be better or preferable than the situation that would exist had the war not taken place. The world spends over one trillion dollar each year on the military industry, the weapons development, military training, maintenance of massive war machines, among other things. Quoting Randy Schutt from the Vernal Project, where he writes on their website: "Military training is designed to desensitize soldiers to others' needs." To desensitize soldiers to killing people, to train soldiers to act at the command of their superiors without thinking, and to dehumanize their opponents. And he goes on to say, war propaganda is designed to secure unquestioned support from the population for war and conquest. What's the alternative then? You might ask. I believe non-violent action and social change are the alternatives. War is not only an outdated way to handle conflict, but just like with individual violence, it's a lazy form of communication. Just war 
states that going to war should be the last resort after all peaceful and viable alternatives have been seriously tried and exhausted, especially good faith diplomatic negotiations. In my opinion, besides the fact that I am critical to any reason for going to war, all too many wars are entered into too early, before more effective ways have been deployed. When it comes to individuals and their conflicts, whenever we use violence to solve a conflict, we're using a lazy and less effective strategy for trying to resolve the situation. It's lazy because it doesn't give the space or time for real conversation and the exploration of the party's needs. And it's less effective because it often fails to achieve the goal of resolution. Even when there is a quote-unquote victory, the cost might be too high and just because the war has stopped doesn't mean there's peace. The purpose of the so-called peacekeepers is to keep a stopped war stopped. But in my opinion, that's not peace, that's just the absence of fighting. A question that I keep close to my heart when it comes to my interaction with people and something that I try to spread as a professional when it comes to wanting someone to do something for us is what do you want the motives for doing it to be for the other person? Do you want them to do what they do because you said so or because they want to? And before you answer that, perhaps ask yourself first what would you prefer, to do what you want to do or to have no choice but to do what you're told. This simple and somewhat micro-level exercise can be applied on a macro-level of global proportions, I think. When we tell someone what they need to do, they have two options. They either comply or rebel. Complying might seem like a success, but how would you know? If what they were forced to do is something they're wanting to break free from, it's only a matter of time before the conflict resurfaces. And if they rebel, well, then you have a conflict on your hands. One of our core values, also called meta-values, as humans, is freedom, the need to be free. And so when put under constraints, we will do most anything to regain our freedom. I wager, so would you. Unless there's an agenda of greed, most conflicts happen due to the conviction of being right. Our need to be right is what can start a war. Not only geopolitical ones, but domestically as well, right here in our own home. I've talked before on this podcast about the dangers of being right or wanting to be right. And I believe less conflicts would exist if there was less need to be right. What is it to be right? Very often it comes down to personal and, of course, collective conviction and opinion. It's often about opinions and preferences. Who's to say who's right? And when a conflict grows out of control, it can lead to a full-on assault. And again, if it's still about who's right... The one who has the biggest stick will win. They who can amass enough force will be victorious, will be proven right. 
Here's Jeremy Boring, CEO and co-founder of The Daily Wire, who recently came on Piers Morgan's Uncensored show and was addressing what can be considered a proportionate response in the now ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. And Mr. Boring went on to elaborate about the justification of war. I would say that the only way to morally justify a war is to win it. Otherwise, your ar- the very argument that brought you into the war, this enemy must be defeated, ends up being proven a lie. I find this comment to back up my claim that how the need to be right is fueling conflicts, even on an international scale. A war can indeed be started on the basis of having the moral high ground, which I would argue can be somewhat subjective. And once entered into war, the way to prove that you were right is to defeat the enemy. Otherwise, you're forced to admit that you were wrong. If peace is what we want then, it should be less about who's right and more about what is needed. I find all our actions to be some form of communication. And so the recent surge of violence on October the 7th, when the horrendous act of violence was done on to more than 1,400 civilians in Israel by Hamas, in some way is a way to communicate. As bad as that might sound, I am convinced that there is a form of message that is being sent. And if it's true that what happened is a form of communication and the purpose of communication is to be heard, then are we listening? Are the leaders of the world truly listening? Or are they responding, staying busy with sending their own message without having fully heard what was being said to begin with? I want to make it clear I have great sympathy and concern for all the innocent victims in the past and recent conflicts between Israel, Palestine and Hamas. Coming back to Randy Schutt from the Vernal Project, whom I quoted earlier, writes on their website in a study done by Freedom House in 2005, they found that in 67 cases since 1972, in which dictatorial systems fell or new states arose from a disintegration of multinational states, civic resistance was a key factor in driving 50 of those transitions. That is over 70%. In 32 of the 67 countries, nearly 48%, strong, broad-based, non-violent civic coalitions were highly active, and in many cases, central to steering the process of change. Only one transition to freedom was brought about by an outside military force. What Mr. Schutt is pointing towards here and that the study by Freedom House highlighted is that it's not military activities or actors that are the answer to peace or resolve. In fact, according to the study, it's way less effective than the alternatives, which are civic and non-violent actions. Non-violent action is when ordinary people team up to fight against their unfair treatment. But these actions are nothing like war, which is just crazy destructive and leaves everybody traumatised and resentful, often causing more wars down the line. Non-violent action, on the other hand, brings people together, helps them understand each other, and makes them act more decently. When people do non-violent action, they work as a team, learning how to embrace freedom, democracy, and fairness. 
If we really want to share and spread democracy across the globe, it just makes sense to go for the most powerful ways, especially ones that match our values of freedom, justice, compassion and togetherness. If there's a better option than going to war, it's smart to put down the weapons that hurt innocent folks and wreck their towns, businesses and homes. Would you agree? How do we get to peace from here? It starts by not fighting. Not fighting fire with fire. Instead, we engage in non-violent peace activities. We avoid labeling things as good or evil, right or wrong, as to stop desensitizing human lives and instead recognize and acknowledge humanity on all sides. For there to be a conflict, there must be at least two sides, two versions of what is right and wrong, and both equally convinced of their righteousness. What is needed is communication, not talking, but more listening. Imagine that some of the trillions being spent on the military industry was instead spent on non-violent peace actions, which by their design often aren't very expensive to begin with. Imagine what could be done, given how effective civil resistance and non-violent actions have been in ending conflicts, according to the 2005 study. Let me finish this episode with a final thought, something that occurred to me as I was producing it. In my writing of this episode, I felt nervous sharing what I believe and taking a stand. I had been silent before as I was trying to find my bearings and a feeling came over me that I was scared and I was being a coward. Of course I'm scared. Many of us are at times like these. It's allowed. And then I realized that perhaps proposing and adopting other strategies than warring strategies is a brave thing. It requires bravery to go against the majority consensus and to challenge or question what is being taken for granted and acted on. Opting for non-violent peace actions isn't cowardice. It's incredibly brave. Thank you for listening.